my name is Liam Bird, and you are listening to the Punks in Pubs podcast. Welcome, one and all. How are you all doing? I'm currently stud, just in my boxers, sweating like a motherfucker, because it's currently 30 degrees Celsius, and that would be around 90 degrees Fahrenheit, I believe, for you people who don't have normal uh, temperature. I suppose. I don't know. Uh, we Brits, we're not kind of made for this heat. It's, it's like, we're used to rain. I like the rain. I feel comfortable in the rain. <laughs> we're not made for this. It hasn't rained in where I live for like two months. It's crazy. Anyway, <laughs> if you don't believe, by the way, in global warming, how about you come tell my sweaty balls? Because both would disagree with you right now. It's so hot. So, so hot. I'm not enjoying it. Please rain. Soon. Please. Fuck. Someone do the rain dance because it needs to rain. It's so hot. I don't like it. I don't like the heat. Anyway, <laughs> that's enough about my fucking sweaty balls. That's for the uh, Punks in Pubs sauna podcast. <laughs> you are here to be entertained with episode 16 of Punks in Pubs. Yes, Punks in Pubs can now be legally fucked in the UK. We are now 16. So it seems appropriate that my guest for this episode, that is episode 16, is a man who loves to fuck, apparently, and has written and sang many a songs on the subject matter. My guest for episode 16 is no other than the punk rock legend, Black the Ripper, the lead singer and ringmaster of the motherfucking dwarfs. Right. From the off, I'm going to say this. This episode is not for sensitive souls. If you are easily offended, then probably give this one a skip. Go listen to, I don't know, episode five, I think. I don't know who episode five is, but go check out who episode five is. Because if you are easily offended, you are going to get offended. Trust me. For you guys who kind of want to live on the edgy side of life, then come on in. Listen to episode 16 with me and Blag. So this chat took place at the Black Heart Bar in Camden just before his show back in early June. And we discussed the world of podcasting and how Black's new podcast is there to help you. We also talk about the band's early days of the Dwarves because there's legendary stories about how them coming from Chicago to California, San Francisco in particular, that shows sometimes we only last like 15 seconds. I think there's one, sorry, 15 seconds, 15 minutes. I think there's one show that lasted just 30 seconds. Basically, people will just come and fight for, I don't know, for whatever reason. Uh, Blag kind of explains about how he's had, uh, how he's been st- like stabbed in the neck how guns have been pulled on him. Uh, so we get into that. Uh, Blag tells a funny story about how he went and visited Gigi Allen in prison out the blue. I also talk to Blag about who is he? Who is Blag? Is he the man on stage or is he the man in front of me talking to me now or then in the past tense of this podcast? I also asked Blag about the subject of sexism and um, how that's been thrown at the dwarfs many a times uh, because of their lyrics and their content that they decide that they want to perform. And it's up to you, the listener, to kind of gauge if you agree with what Blag is saying or not. I mean, that's the beauty of the podcast is that everyone will have a different opinion. And I'm, I'm glad that Blag gave me the opportunity and also spoke his his mind because he could easily have just said fuck off Liam I'm not talking about that and he didn't and he spoke to me about the subject matter we also talk about old tales of sub pop that are retold that some of you might know but it makes me laugh so I'd like to hear about it uh, we also kind of talk a little bit about politics and Blag kind of gets something off his chest about fat records and an EP that they were meant to put out and didn't because they seem to get scared about the content and um, Blag gets kind of pissed off about fat record a label that's meant to help punk bands push the boundaries within the punk community and black doesn't feel like they're doing that also we talk about punk music and a lot more but as always stick around after the chat because this week we're playing new music from a band called celebrity hangover who have members scattered all over the world we've got a great track from them it's not to be missed but before that there's this episode 16 of punks and pubs i saw my girl she was hanging by a thread she was gone Left a note wrote in crayon Saying so long, death lives on I would have thought that she loved me Because we'd had so much fun Now I'm living on the run Looking out for number one I took a ride to the city Had to get out of this town 
A man who is, uh, he created a podcast before podcasts were even relevant. Um, you go by a many of names. The best one that I know you as is the uh, greatest rock man ever known, Vlad <laughs> from The Divorce is in front of me. How are you doing, man? I feel strong, Liam. Thank I'm you. Good. Vlad the Ripper at your service, representing the dwarves, rock legends. <laughs> How you been? It's been a while since I've last... I'd it has say. been a little while. Last time I saw you was at the old Beeb. It was when I was now, with the Beeb, yeah. Now, have they closed it down, or did it, they destroy it? What did they do? So the punk show got cancelled. Wow. Like, and then it got kind of merged in with the rock show, and right. then they play no punk music. I see. That makes sense. Yeah, so then I got fired, uh, and then I ended up making documentaries, weirdly. Well, good. Then it, one door closes, another opens, Liam. You know what I mean? Yeah. That didn't go well. You didn't right. let me finish the story. <laughs> but yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. But it's been a while I'm since I'm glad. The last time we spoke, you were writing a book. And now I believe you've written two books. I have two books out. And I wrote one book in the 90s that was an illustrated and very kind of convoluted, weird, uh, experimental kind of book called Arm to the Teeth with Lipstick. And then about... Oh, man, I guess now it'd be about 10 years, no, yeah, about about 12, 13 years ago, I put out a book called Nina, and Nina was the story of a young woman uh, with no apologies, and uh, that one I, I was really proud of, uh, and I, so I'm working on a follow-up to that. So I, I saw the cover, I didn't get a chance to buy it, because in Amazon it was like 50 quid or something? Yeah, oh, it's ridiculously expensive now because it's out of print. I, I think I, I think I am going to reprint it. Yeah. So was it a comic book? Because the, the front cover was very comic book. No, uh, Niagara, who's an uh, artist uh, in America, did it. She was the singer for Destroy All Monsters, and she she did a little drawing of it because I thought she had a good style. Um, but no, it's not an illustrated book. It's uh, it's just a. Um, it's, it's a book about a young woman with no conscience who just fucks and sucks her way through her adolescence. Sorry, I know you got friends here, so if you need to say hello, yeah. go okay, for it. Okay, wait, let's see. Rusta. Okay, wait, pause. And we're back. All right, we're back. So I mentioned podcasting earlier, and I wasn't being flippant when I said that you guys, that you did do a podcast called Radio Like You Won. Before, I did. Before podcasting was really on the scene. Yeah. And, and now um, you, sorry, go on. I had a podcast called Radio Like You Want that I did with a guy, uh, Mike Routier, who uh, was a really good DJ. And yeah, that was fun to do. I interviewed a lot of musicians and bands. I interviewed some weird kind of underground figures. I interviewed the Bali bombing survivor. That was kind of interesting. And uh, yeah, and we would cut it all in with uh, cool songs and obscure stuff and We'd play a, a very big mix of things, garage stuff and, 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 uh, and punk rock stuff and, and also just kind of vintage uh, R&B and rock and roll. Yeah. And, you know. So it was a very eclectic music show. We did it for about three years. Um, now, for the last year, I've been doing a show I'm very proud of uh, called uh, We Got Issues. And We Got Issues is uh, an advice show that I do with two DJs from San Francisco, uh, No Name and, uh, and Heather Hammond. And we, uh, you know, we answer people's questions, and it's weird. It's addictive. It's like I've gotten, I'm so, like, once a week I, like, have to hear their opinions on stuff. It's weird, <laughs> you know. I've, I've become, like, addicted to it. It's crazy. So why did you want to give opinions then? Well, sure you I've always so been a very opinionated person, you know. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, he... No Name offered it to me. You know, he's like the drive-time DJ over there on, on uh, you know, kind of commercial radio in San Francisco. But he and I are old friends. And, and you know, it, it was like with, the, you know, the famous show that Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla did. The, uh, uh, what was it called? The, um, I don't think we got it over here. We got, like, Late Night Love. That was our... Well, the, yeah, this was called Love Lines. Okay. And it was a very successful show, and it's gone now. And, and I thought that was a, that was a really fun show. 
I'd like to do it the way they did with people calling in and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we're still at the kind of beginning podcast stage. But hopefully it'll take off and, you know, people will be writing in and, you know, it'd be, it'd be, it's fun. It's fun to think about other things other than music because, I don't know, you know, it's like music... I've already perfected that, Liam. I, yeah. I can't really think about it anymore. You know? <laughs> it's only backwards from there. That's right. I mean, last time we spoke, I said this to you, that I always thought you've had amazing voice for radio because you're really articulate, you're quick on your feet, and I'm glad you're continuing to do something well, in audio. thank you. I hope I get to come and be on the BBC. That would be my dream. <laughs> so do I. I'm not there anymore. So. <laughs> uh, well, you know, American broadcasting has fallen apart. And, and it's interesting, English guys actually ask follow-up questions and are tough. The journalists in America, even when they ask a tough question, they let the person say whatever the fuck they want, then they move on to the next question. They don't drill down. Yeah. In England, they don't let you get away with that. Like, they ask you the question, when you give the bullshit answer, they, they keep going, you know? <laughs> so I, I really, I've always really admired what... I think the English in general just have more command of the language and ideas and humor, you know, just all of it, you know. I, I always felt that way. So I was very influenced by English things. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with, like, Monty Python and Faulty Towers and, and you know, the young ones and, and just stuff like that. You know, it, it was... So it was through the humor that I, I came to it, you know. And, and then, you know, the more you, you, the more you read and you study things and, you know, you read... Barnes and Rushdie and just various guys and it's like whoa you know like these guys are drilling down in a little different way you know yeah. so I so don't know with your confidence because you are quite a confident guy did that come from then that the fact that you were watching comedy that probably your friends wasn't so you were a bit like <laughs> look at the shit I'm watching you can't even touch this <laughs> and then kind of stealing like the uh, the John Cleese kind of bravado was that something you were like as a kid or maybe i never really thought of it that way but that's very possible you know i i was always very into music though and, and frank zappa was a huge influence on me and the way he thought about things and did things but then like you know everything always changes one day you know you wake up one day i heard the ramones and i realized like i could do this you know because I wasn't a great musician, and when I heard the Ramones, it was <laughs> yeah. like, oh, shit, you know, like, I could do this, and suddenly things took a different trajectory, and there's a kind of confidence to rock and roll that's different. It's like a sexual confidence. It's not an intellectual confidence. It's like a confidence of, like, uh, you know, I'm ready for this, whatever happens. Yeah. You know, fight breaks out, I'm ready. You know, somebody wants to fuck, I'm ready. You know, you want to get high, I'm ready. You know, and that was kind of where I went as a teenager. You know, and so then the other stuff kind of receded. Did your cockiness become more with, with, with like the music you were enjoying and when well, you yeah. on stage? Like, before the stage, what, I, I can never imagine you anything other than... The, yeah, the I think I was more or. cocky, like, I was good at sports, you know, I like to play sports. But I knew I wasn't going to be, like, a professional sports guy, you know. And, I like, I wanted to be a superhero, I wanted to be, like, Spider-Man or Iron Man or something, but I, I figured that probably wouldn't happen, you know. <laughs> when music came along it gave me something I could be cocky about and, and and for my sense of humor it was like embracing the cockiness you know like music's full of egotistical fucks man and they're really really they, they have their little management and their handlers doing everything for them but then they get up and they put on this fake veneer of how humble they are you know but as Churchill said they have so much to be humble about right you know, for me, it was like, fuck that, man. I'm just going to admit how egotistical I am about my band, and we're just going to come out and tell you right straight up we're the best band, you know, yeah. and that was kind of the feeling. You've always come on stage and said, we are the best fucking band ever. When you're playing back-to-back -back shows with other bands, is that your mission? Is it to go on there and just go, fuck you? Like, do you, like when you walk off stage, <laughs> like, drop the mic, give them a finger and go, well, all that? I mean, maybe. I mean... You know, it's funny because I'm also, I'm very influenced by hip-hop music. I'm one of the only rock and roll guys that talks about the other bands and says they're in the house tonight and we're, who tells who we're playing with. So I want all the other bands to have a good time and be part of it. And be, I'm not, I don't consider myself like in competition with them night to night. Yeah. But like in a general way, it's like, yeah, I'm trying to be the best when I see other people and they seem tired and they're not working hard. That pisses me off, you know? Mm. And a lot of times you see bands just like, 
they, they're they're big and they stay big because of marketing. Whether it was marketing they got twenty years ago or marketing they're getting now, yeah. Everybody heard their song, so then they come out. It's easy. But when you're in the dwarves, man, it's like you got to prove it every night. We haven't been shoved down people's throats, you know. So we gotta, and that's part of why I say, because I know when people are watching us that they're seeing a great band, and so I remind them, hey, you're seeing a great band. This yeah. is a great thing that you're seeing, you know. There is no publicist to tell them that. There is no record label to tell them that. There is no management to tell them that. So in the absence of that, I tell them, you know. <laughs> yeah. So when the Dwarves started out, I mean, A, how did you guys all get together, for starters? Was it a school? Or was we it- were a high school band in Illinois. Um, one of the earliest guys was Salt Peter, uh, who was our bass player for a long time. He was, he was like the talented one. You know, I, I've always gravitated to people that were more talented than me, who had real musical skills and could figure out songs and understand other people's songs, you know, in a way that I couldn't really understand, you know. And then I kind of came with the original stuff. And, the, and, and we had kind of had a mission. I was very into 60s punk bands that nobody knew about, and there was no internet. Hmm? Crazy. So you didn't know about the Chocolate Watch Band, 13th Floor Elevators, the Seeds. These bands were unknown. So when I would go out and we'd be playing their music, I felt like I was bringing something real interesting, you know, and then obscure rockabilly bands. Then when, then I discovered the Cramps, and it, the Cramps have been hyping these kind of bands, but they made something original out of it. And I said, well, that that's what I want to do. Not just, not just do cover songs, but... Be to make make something original out out of it, you know. scene was really big and then it started dying down was that any influence to you was, did you give a shit about that yeah like in Chicago you kind of mid that's right midway uh, what happened to me was that I moved uh, I was born around Chicago and then my folks moved to New York when I was seven or eight years old then I moved back right to the Chicago area to the beginning of high school so I didn't really know anybody. I didn't have anything going on. I stuck my thumb out, and a kid picked me up hitchhiking. He was playing the Velvet Underground's first record. And I freaked out. I thought it was Bob Dylan or something. He's like, no, this is Velvet Underground. I was like, whoa, what is this? You know, I couldn't believe it. Such an incredible record. Yeah. And within about two weeks, I got educated on obscure 60s music, obscure rockabilly, and then we went to see the decline of Western civilization. So kind of hardcore punk. So for me, it was a synthesis of all those things, always. And I noticed very early that everybody else was broken off into these groups. Rockabilly guys only like rockabilly. 60s guys only like 60s. Punks only like punk. And I kind of saw a something that was uh, uh, intrinsic to all of them together, you know. And that's kind of, I hope, what the dwarves have accomplished is a synthesis of all rock and roll styles, including... The more recent ones of of, of hip hop and and dance stuff and and electro stuff and noise, experimental, and, you know. I yeah. mean that. Not that there's a lot of that in our music, but it's in there. It's in these various forms, and so 
you know, the basis of it to me is always just rock and roll, but I think the dwarves really incorporate a lot of styles, you know? I completely agree. I, th- I think the fact that also you've got kind of a, a huge family of band members also like yeah. help the sound of the dwarves continuously change. And, and Yeah, we're like the Wu-Tang Clan of punk, you know? It's like <laughs> one guy specializes in playing surf guitar, another guy specializes in metal rhythm guitar, another guy session drummer like Josh Freeze who's been so kind to me and come in and been part of it and you know just super players of various stripes you know some people are very primitive some people are very polished and you know to help me to and then I got real lucky I met Eric Valentine in the 90s who was a brilliant producer but nobody knew it yet he really helped me to understand how to synthesize things and organize a record and so I've had a lot of help from very like sophisticated people to make this really trashy thing, you yeah. know. So let's go back to when early dwarfs, because you guys were renowned for having brutal pits, amazing stage presence, yeah, and and there was a fear of going to a dwarfs gig. Yeah. Can you remember the first time you actually went to a hardcore punk show, and how would you? Was you fearful about going to the pit? Because I I've always said on this podcast. One of my fears and also excitements was when my first punk show was, I was scared of the pit, but once I got in there, I was addicted to it. I loved the feeling of, right. not not violence, but just, just the, the energy. It's of like the a horror movie. You, you want to be scared, you know? I was a freshman in high school, and I went to see the Angelic Upstarts in, in, uh, in, in Chicago, and uh, I didn't know what to do. You know, I tied my hair up in some weird way because I had long hair, and I heard punks didn't like long hairs, and I put it up in these weird braids or something and and uh, I remember really feeling the energy of it and then in rapid fire I saw a lot of groups man I mean I saw MDC and Minor Threat and I, I was you know you asked about the New York punk scene I mean that's what we kind of worship because of their records so it was like the Ramones such a huge influence on me and I got to see them and, and the cramps but then the bands were kind of around week to week you know we got to play with the Minutemen and and we got to play, you know, or we didn't get to play with them, but we saw the replacements, Violent Femmes. And so, yeah, there was a feeling in the air at punk shows that was scary, that was different, that other people weren't aware of. And, and it was just a crazy thing. And then I remember seeing, like, at a Motorhead show, you know, crowd surfing, which I'd never seen. Or what, I saw The Damned on a, on a video, and he was jumping into the drum kit. I couldn't believe it. Like, all these little tricks that you'd pick up from different bands, you know. And have you incorporated them into yourself as a frontman? Have you have you looked at other frontmen and gone, I, I I love that. I'm gonna I'm gonna take that and make it better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, jumping into drum kit was was one, and 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 crowd surfing was one, and and uh, and like Iggy Pop always said, don't do an encore. I never did an encore. You yeah. know, you pick up these different elements from different groups. You know. So you moved from Chicago to L.A., and from what I've read, L.A. punk scene in the 80s and early 90s was very gang-like related. <laughs> is, is that true? Because well, it seems like a dangerous place. We didn't move to L.A. We moved to San Francisco. San Francisco, sorry. But we went to L.A. every couple months. So that was cool because we were perceived as being from down there, but people didn't get sick of us. The thing is, when the Dwarves first went, we were still kind of a 60s-influenced band. But what happened was, like, our behavior kind of forced us to become a punk band. I mean, we'd play on these bills with 60s bands, and somebody would get their gear trashed, or somebody would get their ass kicked, or somebody's girl would get scammed on, or something would get fucked up. And after a while, we realized, like, hey, we're a punk band, you know, just because yeah. of our behavior. It didn't even matter what kind of music we listened to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I laughed at the myth around the band, man. There were no tough guys in the dwarves. There were no fighters in the dwarves. There were no... There was no anything in the doors. It all was the anger that we brought our music with inspired people in that very angry scene, and things would just explode. And, of course, we couldn't back down once it was going. But we weren't like jocks or dicks, and we, didn't, we weren't like that. But once, once we started playing, people took it that way. Like, we were coming to your town to confront you so people would fight us, you know, and it would happen like shit would get trashed and and yeah it just got crazy you know i got stabbed in the throat and you know like like just all kinds of shit when that was happening were you like this is 
why the fuck are we doing this? Like, well, yeah, I would. Afterward, I would become just what. At the time, no, you know, at the time, it's just adrenaline. You're running on it, and you got to kind of keep your head in the game. And I knew on some level we were whipping it up, you know. And it just goes to prove how words and music really mean something to people. They mean more than you think when you're doing it. Yeah. But yeah, afterwards, I would sometimes really feel panicked, you know, when I was by myself and going to sleep and it was over. And then I would feel like, shit, man, what the fuck, you know? Like, I got a gun pulled on me in Rochester and I got a fucking, you know, I got stabbed in Canada and I got fucking... I got stitches in me, and some guy pulled them out in Florida, and I got shit. You know, like just it got it's just a job. Yeah, it's just a job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was scary, but I, I wanted to. I wanted people to hear my music and see my thing, and we were influenced by guys like Gigi Allen and stuff too. That or there really weren't any guys like him. He was the only guy like him, but you know, he was an influence too. That idea that you just weren't afraid of anything and you would do anything, you know. Am I right in saying you visited Gigi Allen in prison? I did. I visited Gigi Allen when he was in maximum security prison in Michigan. I didn't know him, but the group went. Yeah. And, and we hung out with him. He had shaved his head so he looked like he had AIDS. He shaved it in patches, scare people away from trying <laughs> to fuck him. It was very hardcore. I couldn't believe it. You know, again, that's very divorced from my life. Yeah. I, I you know, was it I weird came from a nice suburban environment you know this is one of my questions later but I we're touching on it the Dwarster band and yourself personal do you think people misconstrue the two that, that oh, people yeah. aren't educated enough to understand that oh, Black yeah. is not who, who he is yes absolutely but you know and you want people that understand the difference between that but it's funny it's like People understand it better with actors. Like, if you play a bad guy in a movie, then people understand that's not really you, usually. Although, yeah. people will still hate you, you know. But, yeah, in music, they feel like it's the real you. You know, Bruce Springsteen. Like, this is the real me, you know. So then you come out and do something different, and people just assume it's the real you. But also, it's how convincing a job you do. And then there's that other issue of, like, well, maybe it is the real me. Maybe the real me is what's actually coming out during that, and the socialized me is is the fake me. So it's hard to say, you know. You do wish people could differentiate, but it's kind of cool that we kind of convinced them otherwise, you know, that yeah. we were this thing. And then in a way, we kind of became that. You know, In some ways, I became that character. Like sexually, weird, weird shit would come up that wouldn't have come up unless I was a guy in a band. You know what I mean? So, like, you know, most people don't confront these issues. You know what I mean? So have you ever found yourself in a moment and you've gone, fuck, that's not me, and you had to, like, take a kind of a step back and reflect and go, what the fuck am I doing? Well, yeah, but the problem with that is it's like, it's like if a centipede stopped to think, he'd never be able to move his feet, you know? <laughs> it's when you stop that you, it's when you get scared, it's when you drop out that you can't do it anymore. So you, it's, it's a difficult, like, jujitsu to master, you know, and I haven't always mastered it. Sometimes I lost faith in myself or my group or my, what I was doing. But for the most part, I've held on. I mean, we're still doing it, and, and we're still really the only punk band. <laughs> we can't talk about the dwarves without talking about art and, and your cover art, which has been something that has been synonymous with your band. So the first time you, you kind of did something that was controversial, I'm doing rabbit ears, people who can't see, was for Blood, Guts and Pussy. Yeah. And that was also your first album you put out on Sub Pop. Yes. How did that come about? How did, who was the person who went, okay, we're going to get three models, some blood? The whole idea was, was ours, you know, and mine. And, and I went there and, and to New York and I was there for that shoot. Uh, Sub Pop hooked us up with a photographer... And he's a great photographer, um, you know, but, but the, the idea was ours, you know, and the title was ours and yeah. the whole thing. And it was a takeoff on a record that we liked uh, called Initium by a band called Samhain. It was the band after the Misfits. And if you remember, like, it's got the guys on the front with their shirts off and the blood trickling down. And you make that blood with, like, taro syrup and red food dye. So it beads in a certain way. And I said, what if we did that with women? And then there was a little dwarf there, you know. So 
I mean, that was kind of the idea. And Bobby Faust turned out to kind of be a, our mascot for the next 20 years. I had him on a lot of album covers. A great guy. He passed away, unfortunately, a, a few years ago. But he was my drug dealer and my friend. <laughs> and, you know, he, he was a great guy. Kitty called me on the phone to say she's all alone and need somebody there. Tells me that she's an apple shooter, but she really cares. I sit and wonder if we are sharing a different world. And all these naked emotions whirling around me swirl. And I'm in love with everybody's girl. Look at Brenda there with Luke. She's giving him the boot. All but Kelly's standing by. Oh, and here comes my mask on. I'm asking, do you wanna? But I never even tried. I'm sitting and wonder if we are sharing a different world. And all these TV emotions making the channels twirl. And I'm in love with everybody's girl. Famously with Sub Pop, you played a practical joke that kind of went wrong. <laughs> and when you play, because people who don't know, um, you guys basically stated that um, he who has no name uh, had passed away. Did you tell friends and family beforehand? Because they actually became, like, a lot of press started to come that, Yeah, it. a lot of people got angry at me about yeah. that and didn't forgive me for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't let people know about stuff. But in a sense, he who did die, and it's interesting because he came back, which proved that you could transcend life and death. Like the dwarves <laughs> are this Nietzschean uber band, you know? So I, I thought that was kind of cool. You know? Did you think it's quite harsh though that Sub Pop just couldn't take a joke and they? Because it wasn't that was even that home. they couldn't take a joke. They were they they were uh, in the process of switching. They were fighting with their distributor Caroline and switching to Warner, and so they just didn't want any press that seemed negative at the time. And, and they, you know, so they lied about shit and they sent their publicist to lie. And then, of course, it was like, oh, well, we got a joke on the doors. But it wasn't really like that. Yeah. It was more like a bunch of corporate guys chickening out of something and, and then trying to turn it around like, ha ha, you know. And it was like, dude, no. <laughs> like, this was supposed to be a publicity stunt. You guys were in this with me. And then they were just, and that's, a, you know, but it taught me a very important lesson, which is, you know, the record business is full of assholes that suck, you know? And, and even when they're talking to you like they're cool and they get it, they don't. And the chicken shit really runs deep, you know? You know, I think I think uh, uh, it's also always comes down to money. You know, had we moved a lot of units for them, then they probably would have stuck by it because of their own self-interest, you know? And so there was kind of a combination of things there, you know? They, they didn't see anything coming from us. We weren't like Nirvana, you know, so they didn't they didn't see something happening, you know, yeah. that was like what had made them rich, you know. So, I mean, there's a lot of that in the music business, a lot of chicken shit stuff. And I think if people knew what it was really like, they, they wouldn't do it, you know, they wouldn't love these bands as much as they do. If you saw how much phony bullshit there is and how fucked up it is and how rotten it is, and that's where the humor comes in to me. Like, I always want it to be fun because that's the that's that's what keeps me doing it. You know? I have fun doing it. Yeah. And when I was younger, I, I, I my attitude got really bad. I haven't been exposed to the industry. I hated it. But but then when you outlast it, you know, you just kind of laugh, you know. And it's funny because I actually witnessed the death of the music industry, you know. They sell a tenth of what they did when I started. So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, there's, there'll always be some assholes that survive it, mostly trust fund brats and bullshit yeah. artists. But, you know, it's like that's, you know, I've, I, I've even outlasted that, you know, the industry itself. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of hilarious. Is there any part of you, though, that you wish you did play the game? And, and that you could have had the career of, like, the Yeah, game. I should have been smarter about my production stuff, and I should have been smarter with songwriting and gotten myself in some different spots than I did, you know. A lot of times it, the rock and roller in me would come out, and I would burn some bridges with people. But a lot of it's luck, too. A lot of it's just luck. And, and I feel like I've been lucky at the stuff that was important. And my heart wasn't really in the other stuff. 
But I still like to make stuff that's more commercial and interesting and work with other artists. There's other ways to do it, you know. I love to just, like, write a good song or think about writing a song like a feminist song or writing a, a like, different song just to kind of prove that lyrics are interchangeable and you can write different kinds of things, you know. You can write love songs. You can write different, you know. Uh, so, I mean, I think I could have done a lot more of that. Part, you know, I kind of got stuck on the road, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I had to eat. You know, <laughs> everyone needs to eat. After Sub Pop, you did uh, Dwarfs Are Young and Good Looking, which, by the way, that post, your, your cover was on my wall with, with the skateboard and the <laughs> right, lady. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was on my wall. Well, again, program. that was because we went to Epitaph and everything was skateboards. And I'm like, since when do skateboards have anything to do with rock and roll? <laughs> and, you know, and like there was all these bands with guys that they all skated. They couldn't play music, but they skated. You yeah. know, I was just like, this is ridiculous, you know. But didn't the dwarves get on the uh, Tony Hawk? game didn't you have like probably a yeah we've been on different. it's not that i'm against skateboarding i think skateboarding is great same way basketball is great and swimming's great you know i mean i'm not against it but it's a sport yeah, it's not yeah, music yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't really get the connection like, somebody does i don't know you know yeah i think <laughs> and that person's very rich right now yeah i mean yeah. you know it's like shoes and and sportswear and i don't know you know it doesn't mean a lot to me so after that, after the Practical Joke and uh, Sub Pop and you split, was it hard to find a label after that? Were people, were you, did you feel like you were tainted? Yeah, well, looking within that group it was. But what was funny was we had been a punk band all along. I mean, we weren't a grunge band. We weren't a mid-tempo rock band. We had been a punk band all along. So we were kind of their guilty pleasure. But then when we just kind of joined the stream of real, you know, other punk bands around, yeah. I mean, the bands that were on Epitaph were actually closer... In, terms of the style that they played to us whether it was like rancid pennywise whatever it was but again those bands played more within the rules of that genre whereas we always flouted the rules nudity and violence but also just changing genres and doing different styles i mean it was harder to just you know you didn't look at us and go oh i'll wear that guy's shorts and get that guy's skate deck and do that you know yeah. It wasn't, you know, so we were, we weren't really a great fit there either per se, but that kind of put us at least, you know, then we started playing the right kind of festivals and the right kinds of things. I stopped looking at us like, and, and I had to kind of realize that like a lot of bands that I thought were kind of cool didn't like my shit and didn't get it mainly because it was, had some element of hardcore. And a lot of people then, especially, I mean, remember, this was 20-some-odd years ago, even that we went to Epitaph. To a lot of people who were rock and rollers and understood rock and roll and did cool shit, like Nirvana or whatever, they never did a hardcore song. You know what I mean? Soundgarden. They never did a hardcore song. I liked those bands. I thought they were good. You know, Green Day. They never did a hardcore song. I mean, it was like, once you go over that edge into hardcore, a lot of people's ears just go, oh, fuck this. There's no melody. This is boring. This is like bald guys marching around, you know, like. But for me, I, I felt it in my stomach, you know. I felt that speed and that tempo in my stomach. And what the dwarves tried to do is like play a rock and roll version of that. But the net result it had was that rock and roll fans, you know, tended not to like it because it was too fast. And hardcore fans tended not to like it because it had a sense of humor and it was rock and roll. So it was kind of a weird weird thing you know like people there was no niche for us i found i always and i still always thought we were like a 60s band just sped up you know so a lot of the people in the genres i liked and bands i liked didn't really like my shit and even if we were friends it was kind of like yeah black i love you you know your fucking band i don't know you know so it was always took a long time for people to kind of catch up and figure things out. So let's kind of move away from music a little bit, if you, if you will. And I know you're pushed for time a little bit, so I'll keep this kind of short. You've quite been saying that two of your passions are vaginas and humor. Vaginas and what? And humor. And humor, And that's I, right. I know shit about vaginas, apart from <laughs> I'm sometimes a bit of a pussy. But humor... We are you a big stand-up guy? Like, are you? Do you do you enjoy your stand-up? Are you a big comedy oh, guy? Oh yeah! I mean, I've never attempted it myself. Would you? I, would you? Would I, you feel like some, you have the confidence? It's very that? difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult, and I think it would be hard for me because part of what stand-up is is like having that personality 
And rock and roll, too, that personality that's lovable on some level. Even if it's nasty, it's, like, lovable. The dwarves have such a hard, flinty edge. It's kind of hard to go up there. You know what I mean? I really admire a guy like Dave Chappelle or or Louis C.K. was great at this and Bill Burr, where it's like they say nasty things, but somehow you love them, you know? I don't, I don't, I don't know that I could master that. It's very difficult. It's one of those things that looks easy, but it's it's very difficult to do. You know, I think I could do more like improvisational comedy or like or like group comedy kinds of things or whatever, like taking on a thing. But it's not really something I ever tried because again, it's like with art. You know, like I don't really have any artistic talent, so I actually enjoy it. I can go to the museum and look around. I'm not all jaded. And with comedy or humor, I can just go look at it, and it's not like I'm jealous or I, I didn't do it. Whereas in music, everything's tied up with that. Every music event I go see, I'm thinking about it in terms yeah. of what I do. You know, and, and uh, so, I mean, I like kind of like to leave humor where it is, you know, and yeah. have fun with it, you know. So we talked about feminism and stuff like that. And I think it's a question that's been thrown at you a lot. And that's about the relationship between women and the dwarves. And how some people view that the dwarves objectify women. And how some people believe, actually, no, you're not. You, you're actually, what you're doing is uh, liberating women and talking about sexuality that women want to do. So like the same concept of a woman just wants to fuck a guy. There's nothing wrong with that. And it still seems a bit of a taboo subject to talk about women wanting to fuck guys. How do you take that? Because it is something that's thrown at you a lot. One thing I'm very gratified by is that we get a lot more girls at our shows than most punk bands do, which is, I think is great. It just happened over the last 10, 15 years. So I think there's something there, the rock and roll part of it, the swagger that attracts women, and I'm happy about that. Yeah. You know? um, there's a lot of levels to what you're talking about. And, and, and you know, I, I, on the most fundamental level, I just don't believe in inequality. I don't believe in people who say that, you know, white people are better than black people or, you know, people who say Latino people are worse than Asian people or, or whatever. And I don't believe in people who say women are worse than men or dumber than men or, you know, I just, that just strikes me the wrong way. I want everyone to be equal, you know. But within that context, it's like, okay, I happen to be a straight white man from America, you know, who's six foot three inches tall and has a big dick. So my reality, when I lay it out there, is that. So I, I'm interested in hearing about a, a five-foot-tall petite woman and how she feels about things, yeah. you know. But she might feel that my very presence is just shitting on her and throwing her away and marginalizing her. Because so many people that look like me have done that to her. But, I, but, but that really isn't the case. It's like, to me, it's just me being me, the real me. The real me isn't a petite woman or a homosexual guy or a transgender teenager. If it was, then I would express that. But the real me is kind of an aggressive man, you know what I mean? So then I I am the real me. I I really have a kumbaya vision of it. I I want everyone to love what I do, and and I want to be in a position to love what they do, you know? And And I don't... I don't feel that hatred and that throwing people away, you know? But I understand that to a lot of groups, my group is like the dominant group of everything. It's like white, American, man, heterosexual, you know, 
can, you know, and then and then it's you, the more shit you want to add into it, you know, it's like, uh, you know, um, you know, this high IQ and these various things, all these dominant groups that I belong to. So to a lot of people, they're just immediately offended by it. it's like fuck you, asshole, you know. But it's like, for me, I don't know. I think you have to be. Right to thine own self, be true. You know, I, I have to have to be me and and say where it's coming from with me. You know, and and uh, I, I don't want it to offend people, but if it does, that's just tough fucking shit. And and yeah, I play on that because I realized how it offended people. But I think it's come around in a lot of ways. But yeah, it's it's hard. Like the dwarves are taking a lot of flack now in the kind of Me Too era, Times Up era, and again. I have sympathy with those movements. I don't think women should be persecuted or fucked over or raped. Or, I think all that stuff's horrible. But people lump us in with that, and I can see why. Because when they look at it, they see like, oh, you're objectifying women. But again, it's so hilarious. It's like I'm not comparing myself to Greek antiquity sculpture, but it was all naked women. You know, I'm not comparing myself to Michelangelo, but it was all naked women. I mean... You know, I'm not comparing myself to Shakespeare, but it was all incest and violence. And I'm not comparing myself to opera, but it's all fucking, uh, you know, tragedy and violence and, and, and people cheating on each other. I mean, the, you know, these are the grand themes, you know, so that's what I take part in, you yeah. know, the grand themes. But musicians now, they censor themselves. They make their stuff smaller so it'll fit on the radio and people won't get too offended. Or they introduce, like, a safe cultural thing, you know, that that people are going to embrace, you know. I, I, we just don't allow you that, you know. We, we are much starker, nastier things. So, I don't know. I guess I'm meandering with my answer. But it, it's very, you know, the dwarves take a lot of, of flack now. And there's a lot of people that just don't want to touch us or come near it. You know, they, we, a festival we used to get to do, but then we can't do it because uh, we don't want people saying we're sexist or a label that maybe loves me secretly and the guy loved me 20 years ago when he saw his first show, but now it's like, oh, I can't really do your thing, man, you know. I've had guys be like, hey, man, I used to take your picture, but, like, my wife, you know, blah, blah. Like, so, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's not always easy being us, you know. <laughs> I mean, the argument there would be that someone would go, well, try a day in our shoes. That's what someone probably right. would have thought about. and I think they're here. right, you know, but... I, here's the other thing. The final thing I'll say on this is this. To me, the dwarves, when I, I remember, and I've brought this up a few times. I don't want to sound like I'm pandering, but I, I never really was conscious of Laura Jane Grace and, and of that group against, against me. And I hadn't really experienced like sort of third, fourth generation punk. And I, I happened to meet her at a show, and we started talking. And she said, hey, man, you know, I, I was a dwarves fan. I love those records when I was a kid. And, and it really made me feel good because I, I, and I said to her, hey, you know, I'm really happy about that because some people said we were like misogynist or hateful, but I thought we were just for all the freaks. I thought we were just for all the people that didn't fit in, all the people that felt strange and felt like they were abused and kicked on, you know? I didn't feel like we were objectifying women. I felt like we were just objectifying everybody. I felt like we were <laughs> shitting on the universe, not like this or that person. You know, if I was a woman, I would have had naked dicks on there, you know. And and incidentally, we did do that. I mean, I put my dick on the records, too. And, you know, it was like, but I, I can see where some of that criticism comes from. But those people aren't judging art correctly. You have to judge art on its own terms. You can't judge it by, like it's an essay. It's not an essay. It's not something where where I give you an easy answer. You have to judge it, you know, in the spirit in which we intended it. And for some people, it's just going to be a turnoff. They, they, they don't want to hear it. But I don't think, you know... Look, you talk, talk about objectifying women. When do, you, when do you know the relationship is over? When two people stop objectifying each other. That's, that's when you've ceased to have a relationship. And you might as well just admit that you're just pals now. You know, so we all objectify each other, you know, and 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 so okay, guilty, you know. Kind of leading on the same theme of like today in salt uh, society. I mean, like No Effects were are now allegedly blacklisted for making a joke about Vegas. Um, 
There was a band who were kicked off the Warp Tour recently for crashing themselves into a drum kit. Well, what pissed me off with Fat, and Fat Mike's an old friend of mine. He knows I like him, but he was going to put out, he put out an EP of mine a few years ago, no problem, and sold good. So he was going to put out an EP from this record. And there was a song called Here's Looking at You, which I thought was like a mild, kind of funny, peeping Tom song. And I guess a bunch of people at his pussy-ass label got scandalized by it. And all of a sudden, they wouldn't put out our EP. So, I mean, if a guy like that, who, who has experienced people giving him shit over his lyrics and experienced people giving him shit over his comments, turns around and does the same thing to me, it's hard for me to have a lot of sympathy. And I really like Mike, and we've sat in the same room many times and gotten high and hung out and had conversations. And, and so it really kind of made me feel weird because it's like, dude, if you're going to, if you, a punk rock singer, have to pussy out of this, what hope is there for anybody else not to pussy out of it, you know? It's hard. I mean, I, and I think probably the way he looks at it is like, oh, I'm doing a million things and fuck that, whatever. But the way I looked at it was like, no, man, this is important. You need to turn around and look at. Are you doing the same thing that other people are doing to you? So that's just my little bitch with fat at the moment. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure it'll be papered over at some point, but, you know. So if there is no, not that community with probably one of the biggest punk labels not getting the back of another band who, who try and push the boundaries in music, is there any hope? No. I mean, no. And this is part of our decline just to be a little more grandiose, I mean, on a macro level, this is what's happened to us politically. We let the fascists win in America. We, we let the bullies win in England, you know? We, we let it happen. Because our side was so liberal and so nice that we, we, couldn't, we couldn't fight back, you know? <laughs> My friend is mocking me. <laughs> but we couldn't fight back. And so punk is just a microcosm of that. We got afraid. We started being afraid to be ourselves. We're, we're, we're censoring ourselves before we start. And the same thing happened in our society. We let the bullies win. We let the people who, who were going to take us over do it while we sat there and said, gee, are, are we being fair enough to them? You know, Are we being nice enough to them? So you need that combination. You need, to, you, need to have, you need to be understanding of other people's values, but you need to have the strength of your own convictions. You can't claim to be a punk rocker and want your... Uh, freedom of speech and then curtail other people's freedom of speech you can't claim to be politically believe in liberalism but then be such a pussy that you let everybody else get chased out of the public sphere because they made a dirty joke or they said something you thought was sexist or racist and that's what's happening we cannibalized our own side and the bullies won the bullies won in america the bullies won in england the brexit bullies won the trump bullies won the bullies won and that you know, we need to stop. We need we need to stand up for our side and not be fucking pussies about everything. And that and it's hard. Okay, I feel that's a very bleak way to end it. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever thought about doing like a political song? Yeah, I have. You know, but politics to me is something you talk about and write about. It doesn't really fit into a song. The kind of political songs I like are, are like you know Woody Guthrie and you know This Land Is Your Land or or something. You know, but I think like. To do that music properly, you have to exude sincerity, and I just don't exude sincerity. I exude, like, I want to get my dick sucked, you know? So it's hard, <laughs> probably not going to be me that's that guy. You know? Okay, man. Well, I mean, I've, I always enjoy talking to you. <laughs> it's uh, my pleasure, Liam. Let's, let's do it again. Definitely. Send the people to thedwarves.com. And definitely listen to the new album, Take Back the Night. I'm a big fan of the album. Yeah, man. Really Take Back the, the Night, the new record. It's a brilliant shit, man. Pick it up. Greedy. Greedy's the label. Thedwarves.com's the site. The Dwarves are the band. Black the Ripper is the legend in the place to be. This one for everyone. Everything you got for me. And nothing in between. We live in infamous, uncontrollably, and we see the savage beast. Fuck the world, I would deny you. I would deny. Atomized, terrorized, and mesmerizing. Fuck the world, I would deny you. I would deny. We'll deny.
there you go. Thank you to Black for taking the time to talk to me and hang out. Go check out the Dwarfs' new album, Take Back the Night. The album's fucking amazing. I love it, and that's why I love the Dwarfs. They're, they're constantly sounding great. I don't think I've heard a shit album for them for a while, so definitely go check out their new album, Take Back the Night. Let's quickly talk about Rebellion Festival that's happening on the 2nd of August until the 5th of August. I think tickets are still available for that. Uh, the lineup is pretty fucking good. You've got Menzingers, you've got Lagwagon, you've got the Vandals, you've got Pill, Buzzcocks, Mad Caddies, Bad Cop, Bad Cop. You've got Exploited, the Mac Labs, GBR, GBH, Neville Staple, the Wild Heart, Stiff Little Fingers, and many more. Uh, tickets are still available. Punks and Pubs will be there. So if you do see me just kind of walking around, come hang out, come say hi. We'll have a chat, we'll have a beer. I, I will be leaving fucking early on Thursday to get the train up to Blackpool. Uh, I'll be sticking around until Sunday, so definitely come say hello. Uh, thank you to Steve Burke for his audio production assistance. Now, time for the social media spiel. Follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Punks and Pubs for all the latest news and junk. Go rate and review on iTunes or whatever podcast network you use. It really does help. Time for the part of the show where I hand it over to you, the people. This week's band all originate from Port Stewart in Northern Ireland. They're called Celebrity Hangover. More information on the band can be found on the Punks and Pubs social sites. This is their track called Carlsberg Village Drive. That's it for this episode. If you are going to a punk show and you see someone fall down, you pick them right back up. Until next time, I love you. Bye-bye. And I fucked up again.